بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم Assalamu alaikum Welcome to the Zaytuna College Ramadan podcast During this blessed month we invite you to join the faculty staff and guests of Zaytuna College as they reflect upon timeless reminders from the Quran and the Islamic tradition Today's episode is by Dr. Selene Ibrahim, a teacher at Groton School's Department of Religious Studies and Philosophy. How do we redeem ourselves after instances of disobedience? In this episode, Dr. Ibrahim explores the story of Hawa, spouse of the Prophet Adam, upon them be peace. Her narrative helps uncover the centrality of repentance in the Islamic tradition and its role in our lives. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين صلى الله عليه وسلم عما بعد Among the first narratives in our Mus'haf is that of a couple who become aware of their autonomy seemingly for the first time. Adam and his spouse, his Zawj, are expelled from the gardens of paradise after tasting of a forbidden tree. As a direct result, they become aware of their nakedness, and they begin to sew together the leaves of the garden to cover themselves. Their tasting of the tree not only caused their expulsion from their perfect garden home, but also introduced a new type of socialization in which nakedness specifically it seems exposure of the private parts produced a shame that compelled them to sew together emergency garments in surah taha allah describes the paradisal garden as a place where inhabitants will neither go hungry nor go naked nakedness seems to have a particular relationship to spiritual deprivation The human being can elect to cover with reverence, with a garment of reverence that is sent down by God to the children of Adam, or can refuse that garment. Even as we are commanded to cover the physical body, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the best garment is the garment of taqwa. The expulsion from the garden in Quranic sacred history may be a point at which human beings become aware of their somatic differences, or possibly even become aware of the potency of their sexual organs. This realization might be akin to the socialization of a child who at a certain age discerns that public nudity is now a social taboo and eventually that reproductive organs have previously unknown capabilities. This awakening of body consciousness often happens in parallel to a child's development of moral consciousness. The child assembles a particular understanding of morality through their social interactions and in an ideal Islamic framework begins to understand human beings' creative potential as subservient to God's command. While we might be tempted to take pride in our sexuality as human beings, our defining virtue as Muslims, and here I mean the sifa, the adjective Muslim, is being in a state of Islam where there is decorum associated with the display and exercise of our sexualized bodies. In a way, our bodies are on loan from us, from the ultimate possessor of all things. Our bodies come with operating instructions. We ignore the operating instructions at our own peril. When the couple eat from the tree, the edible parts are actually the reproductive structure of the organism. 
This imagery evokes a contrast between the human and vegetal worlds. In the vegetal world, the organ of reproduction is often eye-catching and on vibrant display. Yet the kind of socialization mandated by the Qur'an urges human beings to conceal their reproductive organs. The pudenda of the physical body, what we sometimes refer to in English translations of the Qur'an as the private parts, the faruj in Arabic, correspond most directly to human sexuality, to the bifurcation of the human species as mates for one another. Thus, the procreative capacity is more than a biological process for humankind in an Islamic framework. It's situated in a particular cosmology and teleology, where the reproductive capacity is an indirect reflection of the creative, generative, sustaining, life-giving attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From this vantage point, sexual organs are covered not because they are inherently shameful, but because they contain a sacred potency. When it's not used correctly, becomes shameful. In turn, spiritual deprivation is equated with nakedness because flaunting sexuality is a misapplication of a highly potent God-given human capacity. Allah outlines other measures that have to do with sexuality and garments. In Surah An-Nur, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands lowering the gaze and guarding the private parts for both male and female believers. The Qur'an addresses male believers, the mu'mineen, and female believers, the mu'minat, separately, with men first. The requirements for women to conceal their adornments, their zina, in the second part of this pair of verses are not mentioned in the prior verses directed to the mu'mineen more generally. The zina here covering it can be seen as a contingency measure, a form of protection against male believers or other men who don't heed the direct command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to lower their gaze and guard their private parts. Let's just pause and ask why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed male believers and women believers separately in this verse, these set of verses. From one angle, in the first verse, all believers could be included in the term mu'minin. Alternately, since the parallel verse addresses specifically the mu'minat, the first verse could be more correctly seen as geared to male believers. Addressing one gender before the other does not imply a preference, as some I have heard claimed. It could, for instance, imply that one gender needs more urgent guidance, given that the command applies broadly. Notice, too, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the term mu'minin here implying that these verses are specifically directed to those who already have a certain degree of commitment and investment in pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In this specific case, by their efforts to guard, save, and preserve their faruj, their private parts. There's a direct relationship between the idea of preserving here with the idea of taqwa, which has a root meaning that also implies being morally vigilant. From another angle, Another verse in Surah Al-Baqarah likens sexual intercourse to plowing a field. The metaphor here could implicitly liken the male sperm and seed and the female ovum or uterus to a field, wherein an agricultural laborer cultivates the soil. From the vantage point of our ecologically pillaged modern world, this agricultural metaphor may initially conjure up an idea of exploitation to those who hear it without the proper framework. Images of exploitation in Islam do not align with the many Quranic verses that point to the wondrous nature of the cultivated earth and the sanctity of the womb. 
Even the word torab, typically translated in English as soil, dirt, or dust, could perhaps be more eloquently translated as matter. This matter is evoked in the creation of the human being in stages in the womb. Consider the word matter. Even in English and related languages, the etymology reveals a link to the word mother. Over a dozen verses echo the idea that human beings were created from this torab. Human beings return to the earth like the remains of the cultivated fields. Every soul tastes death. In other verses, the harth is equated not with the act of tilling the soil, but with bounty enjoyment or the metaphorical act of harvesting. For example, Allah Ta'ala promises that whoever desires the harvest of this world, Allah will increase him in that harvest, but he will have no share of the hereafter. In this blessed month, may we remember the sanctity of our bodies as matter on loan to us from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. May we respect the sexual potency of our bodies and the bodies of others. May we heed Allah's command to stay far from the things that he has told us are sources of our downfall. May we have fruitful lives and find fulfilling partnerships, fulfilling spouses. May we be those fulfilling spouses. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of the people who take heed and reflect. وآخر دوانا إن الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم آمين. Thank you for listening to the Zaytuna College Ramadan podcast. Help root Islamic scholarship in the soil of America by visiting zaytuna.edu/support.